more than likely, at some point in your life, you have been in a place where you needed to keep a secret. And as I look around the room with a plethora of large families in our space, more than likely there has been a chance in your life when a secret has been unkept. Uh, that happens from time to time. You, you get to the place where you have told the children what you're going to do and you're letting you and your wife know. Maybe you let the, the little ones know. We're keeping this secret. And then that secret gets to the person in your house who could not keep a secret if you gave them $5 billion. At our house, his name is Alder. We try to keep information from him at all times because he will let anyone and everyone know your secret. None of us are really good at keeping secrets, if I'm transparent, other than Hope. She's the only one who can hold it down. But the rest of us are like, telling the world. When we're in the Gospel of Mark, and that's where we are today, we have been in the Gospel of Mark in and out over the course of the last year and a half. And as we've looked at the Gospel of Mark, we've noticed there's this thing that runs through it. There's a secret that's there, and it's the messianic secret. The idea that Jesus is who God intended to save and redeem the world restoration of a relationship with God, that Jesus is everything. And as you look through Mark over and over, when there would be times and situations where Jesus did things that were overwhelmingly and intentionally godlike, he would tell whoever that was there, don't tell anyone. But when we get to Mark chapter 11, in this final section, chapter 11, verses, uh, chapter 11 through chapter 16, we see that that secret is now fully revealed, and it is revealed in a drastic, dramatic way. We're on our march toward Easter. And in this last section of Mark, we will follow Jesus to the cross. And here's the transparent truth for each and every believer in this room. If you are going to follow Jesus, you are going to follow him to the cross. And for every one of us who his death for your death, his life so that you can have life, this is the story of Christianity. It is never one that can be told apart from that. If you can tell the story of the Christian faith apart from crucified, resurrected Jesus, you are not telling the true story of Christianity. It is the hope of the world that Jesus has died in our place. It is the hope of the world that we can have life because of his. And in this last section, we will see that Mark, up to this point, he has sprinted. Ten chapters of Mark at a sprint, at a pace. Here, he slows down. We get chapter 11 through chapter 16, and it's roughly one week. From now until Easter, we will look at this one week of the life of Jesus. You may be thinking to yourself, we just wrapped up Christmas. I just put up my Christmas decorations. If that is you, you're doing good. Pastor Chad, is it already time for Easter? I was on the Target app today, and they helped me to see that it's time for Easter. I may have a couple of pictures to show you. If you are in the place of, do we have those pictures, Scott? There we go. On aisle 55 of Target, you can find this right now, that delightful Cadbury goodness. On aisle 56, you can find this. Even more 
cream-filled Cadbury goodness. If you are one who is into the Easter treats, they are available for you. They are somewhere pinned between the Valentine's Day treats and the Fourth of July treats, not to be overlooking the St. Patrick's Day treats. It's all there on aisle 55. Here we are, as a church, in the month of January, moving toward Easter exclusively for the next few weeks. I want to read our text over us today. You join me. Mark chapter 11, verse 1. When they approached Jerusalem at Bethphage and Bethany, near the Mount of Olives, he sent two of his disciples. And he told them, Go into the village ahead of you. And as soon as you enter it, you will find a colt tied there, on which no one has ever sat. Untie it and bring it in. If anyone says to you, why are you doing this? Say, the Lord needs it and it, will, and, it will send it and will send it back to you right away. Send it back here right away. So they went and they found a colt outside in the street tied by a door. They untied it. And some of those standing there said to them, What are you doing untying this colt? And they answered them just as Jesus said. So they let him go. The Lord needs it. No, go ahead. And others spread leafy branches cut from the fields. Those who went ahead and those who followed shouted, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David. Hosanna in the highest. He went into Jerusalem. And into the temple, after looking around at everything since it was already late, he went out to Bethany with the twelve. We are going to follow Jesus to the cross over the next few weeks. And the first step that we take is into the city of Jerusalem where all eyes are on Jesus, all attention is focused on Jesus. And Jesus is going to, ex- and these people are going to expect something of Jesus that is a tad bit unique. A couple of, of commentators have referenced the idea of who Jesus is here. One that we see is from Robert Murray McShane. He says this, No amount of activities in the king's service will make up for neglect of the king himself. So for any of us who are in this space this morning thinking that what we've done and our obedience is what brings pleasure to God, know that you cannot bring pleasure to God apart from what Jesus has done and he does not love you more because you've been super duper overwhelmingly obedient than he does if you do not. Jesus loves you where you are. Secondly is this, Paul Carter, a pastor in Canada says this, we should have no interest in pursuing Caesar's sword to advance Messiah's kingdom. We'll see that in this text today. Because the people of Israel are going to do exactly that. In and of itself, they're on their way to Passover. And in and of itself, Passover was a time to celebrate the history of the Jewish people. You returned home to your family and your friends. And when you would return home, you would do what you did when you would see family and friends. You would sing songs. You would pray together. You would dance together. You would eat you would anticipate the freedom. People look to him and think, maybe, just maybe, he's the one who's going to reestablish David's throne. So you have a holiday, and on top of that holiday, you have the anticipation that the one to whom that holiday has been pointing is coming. On top of that, there's this Jesus, and he is the focal point of the freedom that you're singing and celebrating. He is the one who will free 
you. And the people are thinking to themselves, if he comes and reestablishes this, then all that it is to be subject to Rome will go away. Everything that comes with being underneath the thumb of a Roman oppressor will be removed. When you look at the text, it says he approached Jerusalem at Bethphage and Bethany near the Mount of Olives. The word Bethphage is pretty interesting because I have listened to 17 people pronounce it and everyone pronounces it differently. So I'm just going with the way that the, the internet told me to say it. Because, I, I mean, Sproul, you got it. Beg, you got it. But we'll just go with the internet. He sent two of his disciples and told them, go to the village ahead of you. As soon as you enter it, you will find a colt tied there on which no one has ever sat. Untie it and just bring that to me. If anyone says, why are you doing this? The Lord needs it and he will send it back right away. So you have Jesus telling the disciples to go and commandeer a cult. Which is a really weird thing to think about. There's an ancient rule in this part of the world and at this time in history called impressment. A king could claim temporary rights on a piece of property for immediate service, for free. He doesn't have to, it's the perks of celebrity. He does not have to pay for anything. He could just say, give me that, and they had to give that to him. It is bring the Prius back. Don't steal a Prius. The perks of this. The Mishnah tells us that the king's horse can only be ridden by one person. That's the king. And when we look to this text, and then where Jesus says to them, I want you to know that I'm the Lord. The, the Lord is asking for this. This is the only time in the entirety of Mark's gospel that he uses this word to talk about Jesus. The word means master. But think about this moment for just a second. You've got Passover, which is their big celebration. On top of Passover, you've got the possibility that this will be the Redeemer. And the beating fast hearts of all the people hear that there is this Redeemer who may or may not be the one The disciples who've been following him, who may or may not be recognized, come to you and ask for a colt, and they say, give us the colt. Of course you give it to them. So they went and they found the colt in the street, tied by a door. They untied it. Some of them were saying that everything prophecy, and you have the natural inclination of the people to be obedient to the one who may be their redeemer. They brought the colt to Jesus. And they put clothes on it. Like they didn't dress it the way that my child does animals. But they put, (laughs) he didn't get a scarf. They put clothes on the colt for Jesus to sit on. And he sat there. Many people spread their clothes on the roads. Others spread leafy branches cut from the fields. People everywhere, when they were entering Jerusalem would walk. It's a holy city. There's even now there's an aura about it. This is a, this is unique. We live in a nation that's not that old. When you think about the age of the city itself, it makes it feel differently. Josephus tells us the story of Alexander the Great as in the Greece the Grecian conqueror. And when he entered Jerusalem, the tale is that he got off of his mount to walk into the city because of the sacred nature of the city. 
the idea for the Jewish person to return to Jerusalem was, was really, really important for you to come there for Passover. But if you were older and you were unable to walk, you were exempted from that pilgrimage because you could not ride a horse in. There are very few accounts of anyone ever going into Jerusalem on a horseback or on a donkey or on any type of animal that you would be riding. We have two accounts of someone entering Jerusalem on animals. One is the coronation of Solomon when he rode in on David's mule to music and rejoicing. So he comes in the Old Testament. Everyone sees him and they celebrate. This is the one from the line of David. Jerusalem, look, your king is coming to you. He is righteous and he is victorious. He is humble and he is riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. Furthermore, when we look into the book of Genesis, when Jehu was declared the king, of, or the book of Kings, when Jehu was declared the king of Israel, people spread out their garments under his feet. All of these things are aligning with the idea that this Jesus is not simply some soothsayer or a guru walking around the totality of Israel saying things for the sake of spiritual advancement. He is in actuality God's provided king for the people. From chapter 8, the disciples have believed Jesus to be the true king of the Jews. And as a matter of fact, the disciples have been hoping he would just do something that was announcement-like. They have treated him as if he is the king, and now he is going to be crowned in the capital city. Jerusalem's prophecy is coming to pass. But with who this Jesus happens to be. When we look at this text, we see the dual nature of them fulfilling prophecy and them having heartfelt response to who this Jesus is. When we look through the scripture, we see the Lord is who he says that he is. And we are to see how our hearts align with what we should do because he is who he says he is. They went in and they began to shout, Hosanna. That word is a cry of deliverance. We've sang it for, you may have sang it for years. At some point in your life, you've come across that word. If you've attended church on Easter, Palm Sunday, like January the 8th of 2023 is Palm Sunday, at least for us. When you come across the word, it's this heavily, it's this heavy Easter word. It means save us now. But when these people are saying save us now, they are not simply saying saves and slaves to a nation. It has both general and spiritual implications when they say, save us now. It has the the implications of the moment. It also has the implications of, of the specific nature of this. You, Jesus, are the one who will deliver and, and care for your people. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Now, up to this point, as we said earlier, every time anyone would refer to Jesus in a way that would say that he was deified or that he was deity or that he was God or that he was a prophet, he would tell them to simmer down. He's been silencing people through the entirety of the Gospel of Mark. And he lets these people talk. For us as believers in Jesus, I would want us to wrestle with this. Are are we the inverse of this? Are we people that Jesus has invited to speak as to who he is and we're simply being quiet? That That we're going to leverage our resources to see the advancement of God in his kingdom. We are people as believers who have been set free by Jesus. And because we have been set free by Jesus, our lives have been uniquely redirected. 
That we are a unique people because of who Christ is and what Christ has done. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David. All of these words are being declared by these Jewish people about Jesus in the hopes that he will sit on a throne in the very same way that his disciples would ask. And one could be on the right and one could be on the left and everything would be hunky-dory that's that has nothing to do with the Bible. I just said it. I don't know why I said it. But Jesus, is, the disciples wanted to reign and rule right there. And these men and these women who were celebrating him and shouting like Jesus seems to function a little bit differently than that. The kingdom of Jesus does not seem to be one that is satisfied by a time and a space. The kingdom of our Jesus is one that has no end. For the most part, the people who are chanting and cheering for Jesus in this portion of the text would have been satisfied for a reign, a reign of Israel that would last their lifetime. So they would not have to worry about the next generation. How many of us are looking at our world right now wishing things that would return to what they were? In whatever loaded sense of what was is. The belief that if we could get back to the days of the Andy Griffith show. Or message in the reign of Jesus seems to be unique because Jesus is inviting men and women from throughout the history of history to be bound to him for something even more important, more drastic, more influential. And that would be living and breathing and acting and reacting and interacting in a way that says that this king who we have aligned ourselves with is a king who is altogether different. If our view and vision of Jesus is one that is simply one about conquering and ruling, if we are overlooking the call to crucifixion that this passage has, if we are overlooking and and de-emphasizing the call to sacrifice this text seems to make, then we are missing what it means to be people who belong to Jesus. If we look at the death of Jesus as a means to an end, And we are missing what it means for us to align ourselves in sacrificial death with our Lord. He has invited us to this. He has told us to come and die. This is the call on the life of a believer. And for every one of us who wants to reign and rule and sit on the right and sit on the left and spread palm branches. And we want to miss what it means that we are days removed from his death. That's not Christianity. That is void of the faith altogether. Because his death is central to our life. You cannot have life apart from his death. Are we aligned with that? Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David. Hosanna in the highest heaven. We have a scenario where Jesus has come in to reign... And Jesus has come in to rule, and the people are all about it. Jesus is the victor. But Jesus has consistently been the victor throughout the totality of the book of Mark. He has been victorious without 
or with that attention. When you walk through Mark's gospel, you notice him doing numerous things. One, he defeats demons multiple times. And it's never even a match. He's always defeating demons. He tells them to run, they run. He tells them to leave, they leave. Jesus, when he deals with death, he tells it to go and it goes. Jesus, when he deals with disease, he tells people to be well and they're well. Jesus, when he interacts with disaster, tells it to stop and it stops. Jesus does these things underneath the the cover of Mark's secret. He doesn't need our attention or our affection to be Jesus. But we need him. If this were Jesus in the text, continually functions in a way that says that he is at work, regardless of whether or not you are aligned with him. Listen, friends. I don't know what your walk with Jesus looks like or smells like or or even is right now. I'm not sure how much we we are following the way of Jesus or we're following the way of whatever influential person we have aligned our hearts and lives with. When we look at the message of Jesus, we see that it is a message of peace. and Actually, Paul's going to tell us that. He's going to tell us that since we've been justified through faith, we have peace with God through Jesus. There is, this is not simply a peace that is limited to this world. This is a peace that is bigger than that. Because in our world, when we consider the notion of peace, one person's peace, that's another person's war. That is human history. This entry of Jesus is not, is not just for the nation of Israel. He is God's peace for the entirety of the world. If we are looking to Jesus for anything other than that, we are missing the point of Jesus altogether. If we are saying the peace of Jesus should not impact the everyday needs and affairs of, of the sufferer, we may be missing that aspect of Jesus. This passage of Scripture tells us that Jesus is coming to reign and rule. Yet when we get to verse 11, he heads in a direction... This is anticlimactic. Imagine your king shows up. Imagine you're going to a concert. We'll just do this. You're on your way to a concert. I don't know who you'd like to go to concerts or why people like to go to concerts, but it happens nevertheless, as they say. You're there. Your favorite band from the 80s is playing. They have found two newer bands to play with them because, honestly, all the bands they played with back in the day are either dead or dysfunctional. You can't wait to hear your band sing. You can't wait to hear them make the music that they've been making. You are going to stand there with your phone up because you gave up your cigarette lighter years ago. The band begins to play... But when they begin to play, they don't play any of the songs that you know. They play something that seems different. They're doing the remixes. They're playing versions of the songs that you've never heard. You're so, so angry. Because what you anticipated and expected is not what you've gotten. When we look at Jesus come into Jerusalem in this text, based on those who play the hits of every Jewish ruler throughout the history of Jewish history, and he plays the song, but not to the melody that they expect, 
He is all of the things that God has promised and provided. But we will come to the point where we see they don't want that. Are we in a different place? To follow Jesus is to follow him to the cross. If that's not where we're headed, we're not following Jesus. Living sacrifices. People brought together by what God has done for us in Jesus. Verse 11, he went in Jerusalem and he went into the temple. After looking around us as a people of faith. As we walk through Mark. Verse 11, as the culmination of this section of verses, is odd. We just came off of the highest high. But you get verse 11, which is Jesus standing in a temple looking around. But when we look through the text, Jesus has been associated with prophets, even called a prophet. Jesus has now just been celebrated as the king. But he stands in this temple, symbolizing his place as a priest and as the sacrifice that the priest will offer up. As a servant who will suffer, Jesus is going to dash and undo the military dreams of Israel. I hope that if we have expectations of Jesus that are apart, not as you might. If we are aligning ourselves with our good works or our right behavior or our niceness or our politeness or the nice politeness of our children. If we are aligning ourselves with our good works because we work hard and because we make sure that our children say yes ma'am and yes sir. Or if we are saying that we are a follower of Jesus outside of anything other than a crucified resurrected hope. That's not the Christian faith. That is moralism. And moralism is as hopeless as a people who want Jesus to reign for 25 years and they would be satisfied. Our kingdom is eternal. Our hope is forever. It is secure and it is sound because of the broken body and the shed blood of Jesus. When my friend Dan was here a few weeks ago, we had a conversation about communion because he... He's got Baptist background. He works at a Baptist seminary. He even made a Baptist joke. I have rebuked him already. (laughs) But we're talking about weekly communion and how we love it. Like, we love to think about it. And he said to me how much he loved it. And when he told me how much he loved it, he said the numerous conversations that he's had with friends and family. And there's this fear in certain church settings that if you take communion weekly, that it will become routine. I want it to be routine. We want it to be routine. I never want us to forget That our hope is in that Jesus would die in our place. That he would shed his blood for us. That his body would be broken for us here regularly. And if you're here and you're a believer in Jesus, whether you're a member of Grace Bible or you are a member of one of the plethora of other Bible-believing churches around our country and world, if you have a faith relationship with Jesus... 
through his broken body and his shed blood, we invite you to take communion with us because the family of God is bigger than what happens at 1027 Dixie Drive. If you're not a believer in Jesus, I would invite and I would ask you not to take of this because it matters and there is significance to it. We are celebrating what God has told us to celebrate in Scripture, that our hope is in Him, our life is in Him, and that He is a King who would sacrifice Himself for us. Would you bow your heads with me this morning? I will say, with your heads bowed, if you have never placed your faith and your trust in Jesus, I'm going to be in the back corner of the room, and I'm going to have a communion cup follow you to difficult places, to a cross, to a sacrificial life. If that's you and you want to enter into a relationship with Christ this morning, I want to talk to you and interact with you about what Scripture says about you following after Christ. If you're a believer, before you take communion today, we know we have a pattern. You're going to come and you're going to take the cup. But I want you to wrestle in your heart with maybe if there's anyone in the room that you've wronged or hurt. that you would take the sacrificial step of offering, of asking forgiveness of that person. Not saying you're sorry because when you say you're sorry, that, that weight of that's on you. Forgiveness is putting yourself in a place of surrender. Father, thank you for these people. Thank you for your shed blood. Thank you for your hope. Thank you that you are a king who reigns forever on top of forever. Thank you for meeting us this morning through your word, in song and in prayer, through what we've confessed and through what we've declared. We ask all this in your name, Lord Jesus.